I don't know on that day if there were best of times. I would like us to look at Judges, to get Judges chapter 10, and someone is going to read for me verses 10 through 19. In the beginning of Ruth, it says that she, in the days of Judges, there was a famine. And so we're going to look at what it was like in the days of Judges. So in Judges 10, chapter, I mean, Judges chapter 2, I'm sorry. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. And when you get it, if you would unmute yourself and read that for us. Reverend Fagus has it. Okay, Reverend Fagus. After, it's Judges 2, right? Yeah, let me just check and make sure. Yes. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and Sir Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He, told, he sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Thank you, Reverend Fagans. This, my sermon title is Ruth, Influencing Forever Change in Those She Loves. Ruth, Influencing Forever, I have those in quotes, Forever Change in Those She Loves. And we're going to be taking uh, from the book of Ruth, various, from the four chapters, various uh, selected verses. The book of Ruth is a book in the Old Testament about a woman named Ruth. Many consider the story of Ruth a true love story. But the life of Ruth is more than just a um, love story. 
is more than about a woman who finds her Boaz. It's also about one unlikely woman who was able to influence the lives of others. Before we examine Ruth's story, let's think about what the word influence means. So I would like you to unmute yourself, or if you're already unmuted, that's fine. How would you define the word influence? Because I said Ruth influenced forever change. So what do you think the word influence means? Have an impact on someone. Having an impact. <clears throat> being remembered. Hmm. Being remembered. And the memory carrying weight. Like the remembering is part of somebody's present day or their history. Okay. So being remembered. Getting someone to make a change. Say, say that again, uh, Deacon Kane. Getting someone to make a change. Getting someone to make a change. Okay. Any others? Hmm. Influence. Have I'm you gonna, ever used the it's word? Pastor, it's pastor. Okay. Um, being able to, as Deacon Kane said it to get people to make a change, but to really listen and consider what you have to say or how you live, your mannerisms, your character, and it affects the life of that person or persons around them. That makes okay. sense. All right. Now, it sounds like you're telling me how you're influencing the person and what you would do to actually influence them. You listen to them. You consider what they're saying. You're doing all these things. It's not what you're doing to actually influence. But what does influence mean? Don't we use that word? Don't we say that they had influence? They're a person of influence. We use that word. What do we mean when we're saying that? Well, I, I think um, piggyback on what Pastor said, the yeah. effect, the effect of the person's exactly. um, conduct and nature, which causes change in a person. Well, somewhat, it's like aspiration, uh, inspire, like, you know, this person, because of something they do or how they are, it inspires me to want to want to be like them or... Or, or, or maybe I want to maybe I want to um, look at my life. Maybe it causes me to look at my life in a different way. That's all. Maybe that's I would say what influences because you look at it in the natural sense, like we are all influenced by something, you know. Because what, what you influenced by, you're gonna start doing it to some form or fashion if you're really influenced. Mm -hmm. that, oh. I thought about what Pastor said, and I think that I'm sorry. Nobody else to speak. I thought about the, the ability to to influence the, the things he said that you said looks like that's how you influence. But the ability to do that is this the essence of influencing. And I would say make a difference. You know, you make a difference in 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 someone. 
in someone's existence or history. Somehow you impact their life. I was thinking that um, now, it's a, a type of caliber in your character. Um, I was trying to word it, but I couldn't get it out. It, it has impact in it, but it, you have to have a, um, or if it's um, not a human influence, it has to have something that is persuasive, enticing, um, that's all I, I can't explain it, but it does is impact. Yeah, you're, you're explaining it as a fact, way modeling. Um, it's like you, you'll be modeling what I guess what you want, um, people to, to be or to or to know or whatever it is for change. All right. Now, Reverend Fagan, yours is the only one I didn't get written down because I didn't have my pen yet. What What was that you said? I just used one word. I said um, to influence someone is to have an impact. But as impact. I was he okay. hearing everybody, it seems like influence can be uh, a noun or a verb. Like when mm. I think of influence, um, like a, a, a coach influencing his mm -hmm. team, to do better. But then on the other hand, when people have grown up, like I was watching something from the Olympics and a person went from being a basketball player for um, the temple coach to a um, coach herself, she said, he had a profound influence on me. So now it's going from being a verb to a noun. So I thought, hmm. and then I heard the key words from Deacon Dixon, I think he's the one who said, uh, uh, what did you say, Deacon Dick is encouraged? Impact, uh, inspiration, influence. Um, and someone says something about making a change. So I just think that all of those words have to do with the word influence. Your parents influence you to go a certain way in your career path. Your um, coaches do that. Your teachers do that. But sometimes someone that's not a part of your life, maybe a, a, a historical figure or someone you know has an impact, I mean, an a, a, uh, influence on your life and shapes the direction you're going to go in. That's my thing. Well, you've preached my sermon, so we'll just leave it for today. Thank you very much. Pass the plate. Oh, we can't. Okay. Now, uh, I really, uh, I liked all of those definitions. And I think that if you, if you, as we go through the scriptures and we go through talking about Ruth, because I want us to just kind of sit back and talk about Ruth for a minute, because Ruth, as you will see, was an influence, a person who influenced. Now, my definition that I found is interesting, Reverend Fagans, that you said it could be a verb or a noun, because I went way back to 1828 when, when dictionaries were dictionaries. I'm going to say, I'm saying that to Bishop because, you know, we like books. Um, but that Webster, he defined it as a noun. Now, isn't it interesting that many times we use it as a verb, don't we? You said, I was influenced. I was, he's influencing, but he used it as a noun, which really made, it was very curious to me because he used it this way. He said, literally a flowing in, into or on. 
and referring to substances spiritual or too subtle to be visible, like inspiration. I think our Deacon Dixon, the professor, said that. Hence, the word was formally followed by into. Influence into. He said, God has his influence into the very essence of all things. That's his example. It is not followed by on or with. Now, that totally blew me away because I think that we, we often think about in, I was influenced by or I was influenced with. And he said, influence is not fluent, is not not followed by on or with. His first definition is in a general sense, influence denotes power. I think our Reverend Fagan said that word power denotes power whose operation is invisible and known only by its effects. I think uh, our bishop said that in our, our um, I think one of our, somebody else said that by the effects with an E effects. I lost my place here. Uh, Effects or a power whose cause and operation are, are unseen. So this is something invisible happening in the person that you, you can only see that it's, there's been an influence by the results. You only know that there's been an influence by the results. Then the last thing, I mean, the third thing, because it was, it was a very large, um, a very large definition. He said, moral power, power of truth operating on the mind, rational facilities or will in persuading or dissuading as the influence of motives, of arguments, or of prayer. We say arguments had no influence on the jury. The magistrate or, or the person in charge is not popular. He has no influence with the people or he has great influence with the prince. So a moral power, power of truth operating on the mind. I liked those two definitions because I think they're very descriptive of Our Lady Ruth today. So in the book of Ruth, we observe change and tra transform lives that affect not only the future of those in the book, but for us today. There's a forever change in those that she loved. So we're going to start by um, reading part of the story. So I need, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. So if you get the book of Ruth, you'll be ready to go to whatever scriptures that I say. So we're in Ruth, which is in the Old Testament. And we're going to start in chapter one. Okay, so if somebody could read to get us started, and then I'm going to tell the story. Okay. If someone could read verses 1. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm on the wrong book here. One to five. Ruth verses one to five. Okay, I have it. Okay, Deacon Kane. Okay. And the top title says, uh, Naomi loses her husband and sons. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem to Judea 
in Judea together with his wife and two sons went to the four, went, I'm sorry, mm -mm, you're mad, I lost it, went to live for a hole in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kelon. They were uh, Erythrites. Ephrathites. Eph thank you. Mm -hmm. From Bethlehem, Judea. And they went to Noab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married, they married Moabite woman and named, they married a Moabite woman who, uh, who name was Oprah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, um, both, both Molan and Kelan also died and they only was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, thank you so much. Deacon Cain. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, the story unfolds. And Deacon Cain read part of that for us. This is how I imagine it. And, and I'm just, I'm making up a story based on what our Deacon Cain has read. Ruth is a young Moabite woman, perhaps in her teens, who meets an Israelite family who's moved there from Judah. Uh, from Judah. She learns as she's interacting with the son Mahan, Malan, Malan, that his family was driven to Moab because of a famine in their own land of Bethlehem, Judah. They are friends. And Malan tells her that their family only intended to stay a short time in Moab. But then he recounts how his father died. And instantly they found themselves in poverty. Melon found Ruth an easy person to talk to, and they later decide to marry, even though this was forbidden by the law of Moses. His brother Chilion also married a, Moab, a Moabite woman named Orpah the same year. Both couples were married for 10 years, then tragedy struck. Both Mahlon and Chilion died in the same year. Ruth's mother-in-law, having, having buried her husband and two sons in Moab, was grief-stricken. One day she heard the Lord had now blessed Israel with bread. Naomi decided to go back home to Bethlehem, Judah. She took her few belongings and set out on the 50-mile journey with her daughter-in-laws. At some point, the seven to 10 day journey would be difficult. Naomi must have thought about her situation for she encouraged her daughter-in-laws to return home to Moab. Perhaps Naomi was thinking about the Mosaic laws concerning Moabites not being allowed to worship in the tabernacle or the poverty they would have to endure as widows. After some persuasion, Orpah did as her mother-in-law requested and left. Ruth remained. Naomi attempted to use stronger persuasion with Ruth, but Ruth was steadfast in her desire to remain with Naomi. This is just the beginning of how Ruth will be used to influence others. 
How did Ruth, a Moabite woman, become a person who could influence others that would impact forever change? In order to do so, she herself would have to undergo a change. Taking a closer look into the book of Ruth, let's see how. Let's see how one, Ruth starts making her change, her personal change, how she became a woman of influence and how she influenced those around her. So let's look at, get a peep into the character because I think it was Sister Tamika who told us it has, this has to do something with your character to be able to influence other people. So let's take a look at Ruth's character. Let's look at Ruth 1, 16 and 17. Just to get a glimpse into some of her character. Can somebody read that for us? Sister Tamika? Uh, 1, 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely. If death separates you and me. Okay, this is just one example. This little passage is one example of how Ruth was. And we're going to look at another little passage, and then I'm going to share with something with you about Ruth. Chapter 2, verse 6. Can somebody read that? And then skip down to verse 17. Oh, uh, yeah, I read it. Okay. You said verse 2, 6. Mm-hmm. Chapter 2, verse 6, and then verse 17. Okay, um, verse 6 reads this. Um, the foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. Okay, then drop down to verse, which one? Verse 17. 17, okay. So Ruth gleaned, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Amen. Okay. All right. Okay. Can you continue, um, Deacon Dixon? I'm sorry, to verse 18 as well. Okay. In verse um, 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought, um, bought out, brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Okay. All right. Here we see Ruth, and we see about her character that Ruth is a faithful she's a faithful daughter-in-law now when we first saw her in chapter one we saw that ruth had first married milhong that her husband and we saw despite the fact that he died she stayed with her mother-in-law despite the and we don't know how long the time was after he died that uh that uh, naomi took the journey but we see that despite all of that Naomi stayed, I mean, Ruth stayed with Naomi despite all the things that was going on, both in chapter one. Now in chapter two, they're in Israel, they're in Bethlehem, and Ruth says, you know what, I'm going to, um, 
I'm, don't urge me to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. And then she says, I'm going to glean. Now, gleaning in the in uh, the Old Testament was given to, was allowed by poor people so that they would be able to have food. But you're basically going after the the people in the fields and picking up like almost like picking up scraps. So if people had different kinds of scraps and things, you would go pick it up, pick them up, and be able to feed your family. And in fact, the Lord commanded people to do that so that the poor would have something to eat and ruth said mom you know what i'm going to do that i'm going to go into the fields and i'm going to glean perhaps i will find favor with somebody who will be able to let me glean in their field and so um naomi said okay go ahead and do it and so she did and so it says in the scripture in chapter two, she happened to be in the field of Boaz. And so uh, that was one of her redeemers. Now, Naomi didn't send her there. She didn't know that she was going there. She didn't know anything about Boaz. She just went somewhere so that she could help her mother-in-law and herself eat. So already we see that God is leading Ruth already at the beginning because why because of her faithfulness and because she, she was resourceful she was willing to go and do beyond the things that um that even Orpah was willing to do and other people may have been willing to do she was willing to feed her family she was willing to work and she was willing to work hard she was a hard worker she gleaned in the field as what Deacon Dixon shared with us all day long. She was in the hot sun. That was a desert kind of a place. She worked all day long. She was behind the, re the, the, the um, people, the sowers and the reapers in chapter 2 of Ruth. You can see in verses 6 and 7 and in 10, you can see where she was even her the way she was she was a person who was willing to work and she was courageous because we have to remember she's a what what land is she from moab Mohat. right so she's a moabite she's mm. a foreigner and in those days it it was unclear based on the the writers whether they were still a hated people or not but she didn't care she was going with her mother-in-law so she was courageous so you see in this woman this widow this person the faithfulness the resourcefulness the hard work and the courage that she needed to be able this is her character this is what she's doing to be able to um the kind of changes that the kind of person the kind of personal character that she had and the changes that the lord was starting to use because she said what your god will be my god and we can see his influence already in her life she also had choices how did she uh, the, uh, the how did ruth start making her own personal changes she had to make certain choices. What were some of the choices that Ruth had to make? 
First, she had to decide as a Moabite, was she going to marry this person of a different culture, of a different religion? She knew that these people were Israelites, and she had to decide, am I going to take that on? So even when she was in Moab, she had to decide, I don't know, am I going to do this? Like a mixed marriage. She had to decide if she was going to do it. So she decided she was going to marry this man, this Israelite. She had to decide if she was going to remain in Moab or was she going to go with Naomi after her husband died. She had to decide it, what she was going to do when her mother-in-law turned and said, don't come with me. Stay here. Go. Go back home. Go back home to your gods. Go back home to your family. Go back home because, look, I'm, I'm done. Because Naomi at that point in her life was really done. She felt God had abandoned her. She felt God had turned on her. She had even changed her name at that point. She was no longer Naomi, which meant pleasant. She was now Mara. So she was like, she didn't really even feel like dealing with anything. And she didn't want to have her daughters to be influenced. She didn't want them to be influenced by her or their culture. And she knew what would be ahead for them as Moabites in Israel. So she's like, mm, no, go on home, go on home, go on home. And, and Naomi and Ruth was like, had to make a decision. And she's like, I'm staying with you. And she made a loyalty oath. She made a loyalty oath in that chapter that Deacon Cain read for us saying, I'm swearing. She made it that serious. I swear to you that I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay. I'm going to go with you in your land. I'm swearing with you an oath to you in your, with your people and your God. And at that time that it, it, she wasn't even sure which kind of like God it was. I don't know if, if in Moab, they were kind of like, you never know what kind of God they were serving, but she didn't care. Whatever Naomi was doing, she was going there because something about Naomi she wanted and she was going to go. She made a decision to live with her mother-in-law as a widow in poverty. Moab was a, a, a prosperous place. Who knows, if she had stayed in Moab, she might have been able to get a, another kind of husband, have another kind of life. But she chose to go in poverty and to stay with her mother-in-law. She chose to glean in the fields as we just read in chapter two. She chose to do that. She chose and accepted her role as a foreigner. So can somebody uh, uh, read verse two, uh, chapter two, verse 10, and see how she identifies herself. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, At this she, be, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? So she identified herself as a foreigner. She recognized her station. She recognized that she was even less than a servant. And she chose that. She chose to follow her mother-in-law's instructions and proposed to Boaz. 
she chose to marry Boaz and she chose to give her own child to Naomi to care for her child. We're going to get to that in a minute. So she made some decisions. She made some choices. So then how did she become a woman with such influence? If she did all these things, she's, she's having to, she's a Moabite. She's a widow. She's um, a gleaning in the field. She's a foreigner. How could a person like this have such influence in a strange land? How could she do this? Two things that was so key for, um, for Ruth. She surrendered. She surrendered everything and she obeyed. These are two key things that you see throughout the thread of Ruth, the book of Ruth, that Ruth did consistently that showed her character over and over again. She surrendered her identity. She surrendered herself from being a Moabite and she became an Israelite. She surrendered her nationality. She left from one country and went to another country. She surrendered her culture because she was a, a woman who grew up serving multiple gods. In Moab, the multiple, the god they served was Chemosh. And in some instances, they served Baal Peor, as we saw in other parts of the Old Testament. But she gave that up. She gave up her culture. She gave up even the religion. She gave up all of that when she made that declaration, that oath to Ruth and, and said, uh, this is my oath to you. Your, your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. She was saying, I release, I surrender. I'm surrendering everything and going. But that wasn't the end of her surrender, as we've heard. That she had to surrender and she had to humble herself constantly to, uh, before her mother-in-law, constantly before the, uh, the, the gleaners, before Boaz. She was continually giving uh, herself in submission. And it was notice in chapter two, verse 11, Boaz says something to her. Can show, someone read that for us in, in um, Ruth chapter two, verse 11? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her, of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. So she not only left it all, but it was widely known throughout the whole region what she had done, how she had surrendered, how she left her own father and mother, how she left everything, her own homeland, and she she didn't know anybody there <laughs> she didn't know anyone but she went and she obeyed she obeyed now 
we're still in chapter two. Let's look at verse eight. And I saw Sister Mika, you were wanting to read that one. So would you read chapter verse eight and nine of of chapter two? It was actually Bobby. That was uh, oh Bob. Okay, Bob, go ahead. You said eight and nine. Uh huh. Chapter two. So so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with, with the woman who worked for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told you, I have told the men not to, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Okay, so, and uh, skip down to verse 23. Can you read that one for me too, please, uh, Brother Bob? So, so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, so you see her, her obedience here. Boaz said, look, do this and you will be safe. Just stay around my women. Okay, remember she's a foreigner. She's less than even her, his servants. But she obeyed and she did what it is that he told her to do. And because of that, that created a safety, a safe place for her. A safe place for her to, green, for her to glean. And he, she did it not just one day, not just two days, not just three days. She obeyed for the entire season. She did what he told her to do. So her obedience wasn't just when he saw her on that day. Her obedience just wasn't when, that for the next week. It was consistent and it was the entire time. Her living with her, her mother-in-law, her helping her mother-in-law just wasn't for when they came there. And then she saw it got hard and was like, I'm out of here. I'm going back. No, her obedience to her mother was for the entire time. She made a commitment and she stuck with it. So let's read chapter three, verses one through, verses one through six. Can somebody read that for me? Yeah, I'll read it. Read. Okay. Okay. Um, chapter three. Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 6. Here we go. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose um, servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, um, he will be um, winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Amen. Okay. That's uh, one that says, hold on, she had that perfume on, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! 
She got her best clothes. Yes, she did. She had got her best clothes on. She washed up, got her best clothes on, got her perfume on, got her hair done. She looked beautiful, and she went down there. Now, I don't know about you ladies, okay, but this seems a little odd <laughs> that her mother-in-law would tell her to go down there at night after all the drunk men are down there and um lay at some man drunk man's feet okay boaz or not okay come on neil now i i don't mean any harm but i think i would have some questions <laughs> i feel like okay mom uh, i'm doing this for what reason okay but she told her why she was doing it. she said i gotta find a place for you but this wasn't the place i was thinking about not as some drunk man's feet. You know, I was, I mean, you want to get me a home, you want to introduce me to somebody, arrange a marriage, you know, something, but not as some drunk man's feet. So the thing is that, but what did it say? Ruth obeyed her mother-in-law. I'm telling you. Woo! She obeyed. She obeyed. Now, I don't know how old Ruth was, was about this time but i imagine she was at least in her late 20s or early 30s okay at least because she had been married 10 years before this so i don't know about you ladies all right miss jada you in your 20s i don't know if your mom told you hey this is what you're gonna do get your best stuff on girl go down there and put lay down underneath this man's feet okay jada what would you say okay mom okay Okay, would you say, okay, mom, or would you be like, mom, mom's been sipping or something? Something's going on. <laughs> See, uh-huh. I think we are like that women, but you know what? She obeyed. That, that, that shows something. Didn't, didn't Boaz say, I've heard about you? I've heard about you? I've heard, I've heard about you. And that's because, and that's how she became a woman with such influence, because she was obedient. She did what her her um, mother-in-law said, no matter how wild it was, because her mother knew. Her mother knew something she didn't know. Her mother knew something she didn't know. So how did she influence the people? of how did she influence Naomi, Boaz, and the people of Bethlehem? We're talking about that she did it, but how did she do it? With her declarations, we already read it in Ruth 1, 16 and 18. By her determination, she was determined to go with Ruth and nothing would stop her. She was determined to go and glean and nothing would stop her. She was determined to follow and obey and nothing would stop her. So her declarations and her about her oath of what she was going to do, her determination, her obedience, which we just saw, her humility. She bowed down when, when she saw um, Boaz. She bowed down in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, and verse 13, chapter 3, 7 through 9. She bowed down. She did and and with Boaz, she she did everything he asked her to do. He said, come over here and, and get this and do this. And she did it. She did it with kindness. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Then Naomi said to her 
two daughter-in-laws go back each of you to your mother's home may the lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me she was kind she was a kind person and what does it wrap up to love love in chapter 4 verse 14 can somebody read that for us I'll read it. Okay. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And verse 15, thank you. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Look at there. The women, the other women, recognized Ruth's value. And they recognized the love that she had for her mother-in-law. And, and said she was better than seven sons. Okay, sons were considered the best thing in the, this patriarchal society because then you knew you were going to be provided for. And they're telling her this daughter-in-law is better than seven sons. So look at the influence that this Moabite young lady who we meet in Moab had on Naomi, Ruth, and the community. The story of Ruth is a powerful story. It clearly demonstrates how a person of obscurity, of lower class, rank, a foreigner, a hated culture, whatever you want to put in that line, a woman, whatever you want to say, someone who could have been considered a beauty, but they don't know nothing. You know, however you want to term her, can any, any of this type of a person can influence those around them in such a way that they will be changed forever. Naomi had become so bitter, she changed her name to Mara, but by the end of the story, she's rejoicing. Boaz, an older godly man, found love in this beautiful young virtuous woman. He was able to get married and his family line continued. What was the main key to Ruth's ability to influence others is revealed in her oath that we talked about in chapter one. Your God will be my God. I doubt when Ruth made that vow that she, was, she fully knew what it meant to follow Jehovah. But she lived, worked, and loved in a way that showed she fully embraced Naomi, her people, and her God. She was no longer the Moabite Ruth who had become, who had come to Israel with the embittered Naomi. She was now Ruth, a daughter of Israel. So let's think about it a minute. How do we become people of influence? 
how do we become people of influence to forever change those who are around us, those who we love? Are we willing to do the same thing like Ruth? Are we willing to make personal changes in our lives? Are we willing to make changes in using our character, our personality? Are we willing to do the things in our character and in our choices to make the changes to influence those in our lives, in our homes, in our families, our cousins, our kinships? Are we willing to do that? Uh, will we surrender our identity, our nationality, our culture, our religious tendencies to have influence over other people? Will we obey those God puts in our lives? Will we influence others with our kindness, our humility, our obedience, our determination? Will they see those things? Will they see the gifts of the spirit? Will they see the, the fruit of the spirit in our lives? Will, be, will we be willing to influence them with those things? Will we choose to be Ruth? People who influence forever change for the kingdom of God.